1: Right, before I get to my next guest, Brandon Stooksbury, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend that on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to FinnScooters.com and click on Find a Finn. For a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance. With premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize, check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This
0: segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgatoursuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
1: All right, now next on the tee with me is Brandon Stooksbury. Brandon is from Jacksboro, Tennessee, which is about 25 miles from Knoxville. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Plant Sciences from the University of Tennessee. He is the head golf professional at Metairie Country Club in Metairie, Louisiana. He was previously the director of instruction at Idle Hour Club, which is a little south of me in Macon, Georgia. Brandon is also the author of two books titled The Wedge Book, and owner's manual for your short game, which can be had on his website, stukesburygolf.com or over on Amazon, where it was a number one bestseller. His second book is coming out, and it is titled The Putter Book, an owner's manual for your green game. Brendan was named one of the best young teachers in America in 2018 and 2019 by Golf Digest. Since 2010, they have consistently named him one of the best teachers in Georgia, obviously before he went out to Louisiana. In fact, he was named Teacher of the Year in Georgia in 2015 and 2018. And I'm excited to have him with me here tonight on Next on the T. Hey, Brendan, thanks for coming on the show. Hey man,
2: I I thank you so much. I'm I'm honored to be included and, and looking forward to a to a fun conversation. Thank you.
1: So, Brendan, congratulations are in order because I see you just became the head golf professional at Metairie Country Club. I'm sorry you left Idle Hour before I had a chance to come down there and see you and make him, but congrats on the new role, my friend.
2: Yeah, thank you. It's uh it's a it's a great step for me. It's really the next uh the next opportunity for me to have my you know, my own operation and to, to get to kind of put my thumbprint on a, on a great old classic club. Um, it's a Seth Rayner design built 1922. It's actually currently under a complete course renovation. Um, and it's going to reopen in October to a brand new, you know, brand new golf course that's back to its Raynor route. So it's really an exciting project and I couldn't be more than, you know, couldn't be happier to be where I'm at to get things going down here.
1: Brandon, as I was looking over the course of your career, you spent some time with Jim McLean down at his academy at Doral. Talk about how you caught on with Jim and and, uh, what you learned from him during the time you spent there.
2: Yeah, so I, you know, pretty early on, I started my career on the operations side, which is where I'm back now. But, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to teach, um, certainly at a higher level than I was teaching at at the time. And, And I wasn't sure how to do that. And Really funny story. I'll leave his name out, but a a fairly well-known golf instructor that I'm sure you'd know if I said his name. That worked for Jim McLean at the time. Wrote an article in Golf Digest or something, Golf Magazine, or you know, one of the big magazines. And at the end of it, it said, "For more information, contact him here." Uh, And and at like 24 years old, I blindly wrote him an email, Um, and and I said, you know, listen, I'd I'd like to learn more about teaching, and I don't know where to start. I'd appreciate if you wouldn't mind. Talking to me, and he called me like ten minutes after I sent the email. Uh, didn't know the guy from Adam, and he said to me, you know, look, if you really want to do this, you need to get your butt down at Doral, Um, You know, where the best in the world are here, and we're learning, and we're, you know, we're teaching, and we're, you know, we're, we're a family. And and it took me a couple of years to kind of get my career to a place to where I could do that, but eventually I did just that, and I made some incredible friends, I made some incredible connections, and. And colleagues that I still keep in touch with, and and it was in, it was a great year. You know, Jim taught me a lot, taught me things that I still use today, every day, um, and I have great respect for Jim and, and and what he has built over the years and, and what he does for teachers. Um, and so that that set me on the path full time instruction for a little over a decade. Um, and in the, recently in the last two to three years, I've worked my way back into operations. And, and to be honest, that was always the plan. You know, when I went to work for Jim, I really wanted to learn how to be a better teacher. And, you know, life, life happens and, and, you know, a job changes. And I ended up staying in that side of the business a lot longer than I ever thought I would. But, but it was an incredible experience that I look back on daily and use things from, 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 that, from that year of my life almost every day. So it was a good time. I worked for him at Doral. Um, when he had his old academy, and it's now moved over to the Biltmore in Coral Gable. So it's a little different setup now, but those are some good times for sure.
1: And from there, you go out to Las Vegas and become the director of instruction at the PGA Tour Academy. So what got you to leave Florida to head out to the desert?
2: My wife, actually. Um, We were not married at the time, and when I finished, it was sort of timed like this on purpose. She was finishing um her school. She is a veterinarian and she was finishing vet school at the same time the season was coming to a close down in Doral. And uh so we I finished at row she finished school and we got married and her job took us to Las Vegas. She got an incredible opportunity out there and, and we were, you know, newly married and, you know, in our mid twenties and and uh moving to Vegas seemed like a really cool idea and it was great. Uh, you know, we spent uh, a little over six years out there, or, or right at six years, and, and we, had a, we had a great time. Vegas was a great city, and even though we lived out there at a really hard time, you know, in our country, we moved to Vegas um around Memorial Day of 2008, and, you know, most of us remember what happened to the, you know, the global economy, particularly the, the U.S. economy in, in the, the, you know, the late summer of 08, and so here we are in, maybe the hardest hit city in america uh just living it up and having a great time so it was a cool experience and i had a great job at a great place we were our academy was on site at tpc las vegas um used to be called tpc canyons but it's been tpc las vegas for a while and and uh you know it was it was great wonderful job and and uh, i got really involved in the governance you know out there within the the pga chapter and, and section so it was a It was a cool experience um, and, and one that I
1: look back on fondly, for sure. And, Brandon, I have to imagine playing the game in Las Vegas is a whole lot different than playing the game in South Florida. You go from a sort of a wet, humid climate to a very dry one. For people planning to go out to Vegas, what should they be prepared for regarding the climate impact on their game and shot selection?
2: Yeah, so there's two things I would say about that. Number one, try to avoid going in the spring if you can. Um, The weather is fabulous, but it is incredibly windy in Las Vegas in the spring. Uh, And when I say windy, I'm talking about 25-mile-an-hour sustained wind uh, is a daily occurrence. And so the fall of the year is the same weather, but uh, the conditions are a lot better. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is if you're going to Vegas to play golf, drink a lot of water. I don't care how thirsty you think you are, you need more water. And so, uh, you know, obviously out there, you you don't, sweat does not accumulate on your skin and evaporate. So you don't know that you're sweating, but you're sweating. And So you always need to drink a lot of water. Playing golf in Vegas is really interesting. You know, the ball runs and rolls forever, uh, and the ball flies. Vegas sits at about 2,200 feet above sea level and so you get a little bit of extra distance out of the golf ball because of where it is and then the air is very very thin because there's no humidity in the air and so you get a little bit of extra flight out of it out there as well and so playing golf in vegas is really cool everybody oversees in the winter and so you can play in the you know in the summertime and it be Bermuda grass, and then by the time october rolls around you're playing on ryegrass which is a really neat you know, contrast, uh, and so you know, I had a I had a great time out there, and golf is. Most people don't believe me when I say this, but golf in that city is not particularly very big. The golf market is not very big, but, but man, the golf courses they have out there are, are really special, and and, uh, and 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 some great facilities. So it was it was a, a good few years that I look back on, um, and and smile.
1: Brandon, I want to talk about your book, The Wedge Book, and we talk a lot about the short game on this show, but what are some of the things that uh, our listeners are going to learn when they pick up that book?
2: Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about why I wrote it back now, I guess almost six years old or a little over six years old. I tried to get better at teaching short game. I wanted to be a better teacher at short game. I found myself doing a lot of golf schools with the company that I worked with where folks would come in for two or three days at a time. And, uh, you know, the, I found that my best chance at getting them better faster was to get them better in short game. And so I tried to, to, to start doing some research, learn how to teach short game a little bit better. And to be honest with you, I didn't find a whole lot. And there's still not a lot out there. You know, there there are some good works for sure, but but compared to the information that you find on full swing, you know, there's just not a lot of information out there specifically about short game. And so... I, I read what I could. I traveled and I watched golf instructors and I shadowed people and, you know, and I learned what I learned. And, and eventually it just got to the point where I thought, you know, I, I want to share this because, you know, I have this way of doing it and I have this way I've learned to teach it by some of the best in the business. And, and there's just not a lot of information out there. And so I saw an opportunity and I, you know, I wrote a book and the book ended up being a little over a hundred pages. You know, if it, it wasn't uh was it was never meant to be you know this detailed you know deep dive into short game it was meant to really be a fifteen thousand foot view of of what it's like to to start right on the edge of the green and work your way back out to about forty or fifty yards away um and you know it 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 came on the market in in August and a week later it was the number one amazon bestseller and I checked three days ago and it's still sitting at number one six years later in its category. And so I was blown away by its reception and by its success. I never expected the book to be that popular but uh but it's it's been really awesome and and, and the success of the wedge book is really why I pivoted and and decided to write the second book. That was never part of the plan but but I felt like, you know, I had a similar opportunity in the world of putting and, and thus the putter book was born but but the Wedge Book was a cool step for me, you know. I mean, it 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 made me an author. It made me a best-selling author, and it gave me a lot of credibility in in our business, um, you know. And 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 it was a really neat experience. I I appreciate so much my co-writer Matt Rudy and and Tim Oliver who did the the graphics for me. And it just it was a really special project for me that that turned out way better than I ever expected it to. Brandon, I want to
1: pick your brain and get some short game tips starting really with bunker play. I'm a terrible bunker player. I always try to you know keep speed in my swing and propel the ball out of the bunker, but I either thin it way over the green or I hit it fat and the ball stays in the bunker. And I saw your video on bunker shots on your YouTube channel, fantastic stuff. And one of the things that I like that I really never saw or heard anybody talk about before was when opening the face you know, of our, whether we're hitting a sand wedge or a lob wedge, to have the grooves Face your uh, front, your lead foot, your lead toes, and pointing back towards that. I've never heard anyone sort of draw that line for us. Talk about how that can make us more successful in getting the ball out of the bunker.
2: Well, uh, getting a ball out of the bunker is all about managing low points. Uh, An easier way to say that would be managing where the club hits the ground. Um, And that's nothing really new because we have to manage where the club hits the ground if we're hitting a wedge shot out of the fairway, too. As a matter of fact, we have way more ability to miss our spot in a bunker and still have some success than we do when we're doing it out of a fairway. So people get kind of scared of bunker shot uh, when it really should be the opposite. But I really do believe that a green size bunker shot might be the easiest shot in the game. And, and I'm not downplaying its challenge, but relative to hitting the same shot, out of a fairway lie, you can make some mistakes out of a bunker and the ball will still come out and end up on the green. So, um, you know, the, the the groove to the big toe, you know, was just something that that, that ended up being easy for me to, to relate to people. You know, people always ask you, well, how much is too much or how much is enough? And, and, you know, really opening the face is all about presenting the bottom of the golf club a particular way to the bunker that allows you to take advantage of the how the sole of the wedge is designed. Um, you know, bounce has become a bit of a buzzword, but that's exactly what it does. It exposes the bounce and sort of puts you in a position to use the sole of the wedge in a in a you know in a favorable way. That the more you open the face, the more bounce you expose, but there is a point where you can go too far. And so I just felt like that was a, a great way to explain it. If you just take your stance and you just open the grooves until they point at your big toe, that's usually pretty safe. Um, and so, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that. I, you know, I'd never, I'd never realized that that was, uh, you know, wasn't something that was floating around out there. But, but it seemed pretty easy to me to, to, to talk about it in the video. And so, um, you know, bunker shots can be a, can be problematic, and can, can be really, a, you know, scary to people, but they really don't have to be. You just have to do a couple of things right.
1: So let's back up a little bit and staying in a bunker. What about fairway bunker shots? What tips can you share for how we can make clean contact and get that ball out?
2: Yeah, so so here's what I would tell you. you have the ability to make clean contact hitting a 7-iron out of the fairway, then you have the ability to make clean contact out of a fairway bunker. Because at the end of the day, that shot really isn't any different than a shot out of the fairway. Out of the fairway, we're still supposed to hit the ball before we hit the ground with the club. Out of a fairway bunker, you're supposed to hit the ball before you hit the ground. And so what I find out what I find most people do in fairway bunkers is because they they're scared to death of them and they think that something has to be done differently, they end up manipulating their bodies and their golf swings, trying to do something different when all they really have to do is swing the golf club the same way. I tell you, man, the only the only change I would recommend most people to make out of a fairway bunker, if you have consistent contact out of a you know, off a fairway already, just move the ball back in your stance about a half a ball from where you would normally play it with the club you have. That just hedges your bet a little bit, that you'll catch ball first. You might hit it a touch thin, but usually folks have their expectation level a little lower coming out of a fairway bunker anyway, and it's not going to be the worst thing. People get all, you know, all twisted up, you know, out of a fairway bunker. I just, it's easy if you just treat it the same as you would any other golf swing with a little bit of a hedge with the ball, you know, a half a ball back from normal, and I think you'll be okay. Greenside bunker shots are a little bit different, but fairway bunker
1: shots aren't that. And Brandon, another one of the videos that you've done that I really love and, and I learned something again was about pitch shots. You talk about one of the keys to being successful is getting the center of our chest, our sternum in front of the ball. Talk about how that works. And then how does that also impact shaft lean and help us, uh, you know, get that ball lean and get it closer to the hole.
2: Yeah. So, so I, I, I won't relate chest position to shaft. Here's why, because you really have the capacity and the capability to manipulate the shaft however you need to based on the shot you want to hit and the lie you have. And so if you put me in the rough and the ball was sitting up just a little bit off the ground, which is the most forgiving you know, lie you could have, I could deliver the shaft leaning forward, I could deliver it neutral, or I could even deliver it backwards. And all three of those produce very different trajectories on the shot. And I would do all that with my chest in the same position. So don't think about the chest and its position relative to the ball as having an impact on shaft. Rather, think about it as helping you to guarantee that you will hit the ground under the golf ball. Right? And so you've got to, again, just like a bunker, being a good wedge player is all about managing where the club hits the ground. And the problem people have, and the reason I talk about the chest, is because in wedges, typically we need some trajectory. And a lot of golfers, I would say more golfers than not, add trajectory by moving their chest backward and trying to go under the ball and lift it up in the air. Um, Sometimes it's Subtle, and folks don't even know they're doing it, Um, sometimes it's not so subtle and they're actively trying, and that can really wreak some
1: havoc on
2: controlling where the wedge hits the ground. In other words, when the chest moves backwards, then that means the club's going to hit the ground further and further backwards. So what ends up happening is you hit one fat, and then you get scared to hit the next one fat, you end up pulling up and out of it with your arms and hands and you hit it thin. And then if anybody guesses guess what happens after that. And so talking about where the chest is relative to the golf ball is an easy way to think about the fact that you have to keep your center of rotation or mass stationary or moving slightly toward the target because that ensures that the club hits the ground in the right spot. If you move your chest backwards, you're dead with a wedge in your hand, especially a finesse wedge around the green. Without question, number one mistake I see most golfers make is moving the chest incorrectly. And so that's why I talk about the chest and its position being over the ball or slightly in front of it.
1: So with that movement of moving the chest slightly forward, talk about weight distribution. Am I still Am I still 50-50 or am I starting to get towards 65 70% of my weight on my front foot versus my back. Yeah,
2: I know. It's definitely going to feel heavy in the front foot, uh, but it's really important. There's a couple of ways you can feel weight in your front foot. You can stick your hip out and feel weight in your front foot, but if you do that, then you just move your chest behind it. If you move your chest in front of it, And it wouldn't be this far, but think about standing straight up and trying to make the buttons on your shirt be over your left knee for a right-handed player, right? And that would almost tilt the spine toward the target. You would certainly feel more weight in your left leg, but it would be weight in your left leg the right way instead of a very dangerous way if you stick your hip out. When you stick your hip out, your spine Away from the target, and your chest moves backward. And so you'll definitely feel more weight in your front or lead foot. It's just important to understand how to feel that weight and why you're feeling that weight. It's because your center, I would call it your upper center or your center of mass, which usually is around just a bit above your belly button, would be more in front of the ball set up behind it. And if you think about it that way, yes, you have more weight forward, but it's because your center of mass is more forward.
1: Hopefully. Let's talk <laughs> about a couple of other things related to the, the sort of chip or pitch shot. First of all, you talked about lie a minute ago, getting in a bad lie, or if we're in a real tight lie. Does it matter? Because now getting your sternum a little bit ahead of the ball, does that help alleviate because you're going to catch the ball first and lie doesn't come into as big a play or do we have to be very careful about those types of lies and does that make an adjustment somehow and how we need to play that shot
2: yeah generally generally the condition of the lie won't change the technique much you know it, it can please don't misunderstand you know it's possible that if the lie gets too bad or too thin that you might make a change in your setup to help you accommodate that lie. But generally, the the lie only puts a ceiling on what you're able to do. And what I mean by that is if the lie is very, very tight, then that reduces the number of options you have of things you can make the ball do. If the lie is very, very bad and it's in very deep rust, then that reduces the option of the number of things you could make the ball do in different ways. But it really doesn't change much about how you set up and play the shot. Let me give you an example of what I mean. If the ball's sitting down in deep rough, you're not going to be able to put any spin on the ball whatsoever. And it's going to come off the face very soft. So you have to hit it harder to make it go the same distance and it's going to have no spin-off. So the only way you have to make a ball that's been hit harder stop faster if you can't spin it is to hit it higher. So you might change the way you play the shot because of the lie, but that really won't change the setup very much. Hopefully I'm making sense, right? The lie changes how challenging or not challenging the shot is, and it changes what you can or can't do with the ball because of what kind of lie you have.
1: Let's talk club selection, Brandon. Because if we have a just a normal lie, maybe we're somewhere between five and fifteen yards off the green, nothing spectacular. We're not trying to hit over water or, or trap or anything along those lines. Do you have a club selection? Is it consistent? I'm always I'm always picking up Either my pitching wedge or my sand wedge, or do you look at those based on the type of shot, back left pin, or that sort of thing? Are you looking at a an eight iron, a nine iron, maybe a seven iron? Talk about clubs so much.
2: No, one hundred percent based on the type of shot you want to play. And so I I encourage people to look at wedges as tools in a tool belt. And if you're a carpenter and you have a job to do, you're going to carry a tool belt with you. And when you get to the job site and see what you have to do, then you choose the appropriate tool. I would want people to look at wedges the same way. When you you always want to choose the shot that best fits the situation. Okay, so in other words, the other way to say that would be the situation determines the type of shot that you play. People get People make some bad mistakes when they start choosing the shot or the club, and trying to fit that into the situation. Then you start having to manufacture golf shots that you really can't hit very well with that particular club, and that puts a ceiling on how good you're able to be. And I, I, To go back to my carpenter example, imagine a carpenter that came to the job site, and he had one screwdriver and a hammer and one wrench. And then the other carpenter came to the site, and he had a tool belt that had 25 tools, which carpenter would you rather have working on your house? Right. And so I think if you look at it that way, as wedges, as tools, and a tool belt, and then depending on what kind of shot you need to play, you choose the right tool, that's a much better way to look at that when it comes to club selection.
1: Brandon, one more before I let you go. And we've talked about or at least mentioned your new book uh, the put- on putting Talk about some of the things that we're gonna learn once we get that book. Yeah, so
2: it's gonna be very similar, um, in in sort of style and format to the wedge book, the same way the wedge book, it's meant to kind of be a fifteen thousand foot view of putting. And so I talk about some mechanics, you know, I I talk about some things that you should and shouldn't do, but it really is designed to be a book for someone who's never thought a whole lot about putting, who's never really concern themselves a whole lot about what the, you know, is my putter fit for me correctly? Is the head style work for me? You know, for somebody that's never really concerned themselves a whole lot with how do I get better at putting, the really great book for you to sort of educate yourself. It, almost think of it like putting 101. And I talk about the, the, the three, there are four skills, But I'll I'll tell you, you know, the, the three most important skills to putting, people get caught up in, should I hold my grip like this or should I hold my body or stand like that? And they really don't talk about the skills. And the skills, in no particular order, are can you choose the right line, which would be green reading, can you start the ball at line control, and can you control the speed? If you can do all three of those things, you're going to be a good putter. How you do those things is far less important than if you do those things. And so so many people look at it the other way. They concern themselves with how to do something without actually knowing what they're trying to do. And so it's, it's putting 101, right? You, you know, you, you've never really thought much about putting. You learn what's important to make a putt. You learn how club fitting plays a role in that. You learn some practice habits and some diagnostic tools to be able to, to diagnose which of the three skills are most deficient. Uh, and it's just, it's a really good guide for folks that have never really paid a whole lot of attention to putting. Um, and I can only hope that it ends up being as successful as the West book did, but, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into the book and, 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 and what it is. And, you know, if if you're interested in putting, or putting's a weak part of your game, or, or you just don't know a whole lot about it. And you think you want to try to get better at it, um, th- then I would recommend you pick it up because you're gonna you're gonna steal away. You know, you're gonna come away with stealing a couple of nuggets that that I know will help you.
1: When's the book gonna be available?
2: It's actually out. Um, it it, it oh, came okay. out of, just a couple of weeks ago, and so um, you can you can get it on Amazon. That's really the best way to get it. Uh, you know, you if you want a signed copy, um I'm I'm happy to mail you uh you know, you can reach out to me on my website and I'm happy to sign a copy and drop it in the mail to you. Um but Amazon is really the best way to buy it. Um uh, both are available, uh both the putter book and the wedge book are available in both paperback and digital versions. Um and so, you know, Amazon's the easiest way unless you want it personalized, and you can just reach out directly to me and I'll sign one and drop it in the mail.
1: So, Brendan, let our listeners know how they can follow you on your website and then over social media and YouTube as well.
2: Yeah, everything is under Stooksberry Golf. You know, it's a, both a blessing and a curse to have the last name of Stooksberry. You know, nobody knows how to say it or nobody knows how to spell it, but nobody else has got it either. And so, um, you know, everything, <laughs> everything out there is under Stooksberry Golf, my website, my Twitter handle, my Facebook page, my Instagram page, YouTube. Everything is under Stoopsberry Golf. And so if you just went to Google and typed in Stoopsberry Golf, you'll find Um, because there isn't another one out there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, everything <laughs> is that way. And, and I, I love to hear from people and, and get feedback from folks and have conversations. So please feel free to reach out to me on any of those mediums, um, you know, even if it's just a contact on my webpage, page. You know, that email comes directly to me. Uh, I'm I'm a one-man operation. You know, I see and read all those comments. So I love to hear from, from golfers. I love to hear from folks who've read the book and, and uh and, and like talking about short game and getting better. So, you know, I'd love to hear from anybody that wants to talk.
1: Well, Brandon, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and uh you know, being a part of this segment. You're fantastic, my friend. So much great content that you have available out on YouTube and, and obviously through both of the books and that sort of thing. I, I sure hope we get the privilege of having you back on the show again sometime. Well,
2: I thank you so much, man. I'm I'm follow the YouTube, you're going to start to see some more content. Uh my hair's a little grayer now than, than it was in some of the videos that you <laughs> watched. So, I've got to get some new content up there. That's coming real soon. Uh once I get my feet under me here at my new spot, uh you know, down at Metairie, and and I'm going to be putting some new stuff out. Chris, I can't thank you enough. I had a great time. I'm honored to be a guest
1: and look forward to the next chance I have to come on. I appreciate that very much, Brandon. Best of luck out of Metairie Country Club. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Stay safe, my friend.
2: Sounds good. Thank you. Have a good night.
1: See you, Brandon. And it's Brandon Stooksbury. S-T-O-O-K-S-B-U-R-Y is the spelling of his last name. Folks, he's got so much great content out on his YouTube page. I can't recommend that enough. You know, I I don't even know how many tips he's got out there. But it's a bunch, and they're great. So uh, go out there and check it out. And then uh, I'm looking forward to checking out both books. That ought to be a lot of fun, a lot of good information there, too. Goodness knows I can use help with with both of those things, with the short game and a wedge and with the putter as well. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll get Brandon back on the show again soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Cindy Miller. Susie Whaley, and Brandon Stukesbury for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthet.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of which, scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patcher, He's going to be back with us. We'll hear how it went for him at the Florida Senior Open Championship. Ten-time winner between the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour, Tom Purser is going to be making his next on the T debut next week. Looking forward to having Tom as part of the show. Another one of the top instructors in the game and a great friend as well is Rob Strano. He's going to be back with me. Be sure to check out Rob's show, The Golf Kingdom. It's available on Roku and on Blab TV, and it's a really a fantastic show. A lot of fun. Rob is a is a hoot to be around and with and is a great instructor on top of all of that. Another first-timer is going to be joining me next week, and that is former Chicago Blackhawks goalie and now TV broadcaster for the St. Louis Blues. Darren Pang is going to be here. Really excited to have Panger as part of the show. So it's going to be a great one, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, Odyssey. If you've got a favorite podcasting app or site, we're probably on it. Just go to the search bar, type in next on the T. I'm sure you'll find us as a part of that app, whatever it is. And, folks, if you love the show, do me a favor and please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show on their Hot 50 list. When you go to their site, click on Hot 50. You're going to find it right at the top of the homepage. You're going to get a drop-down list that includes Hot 50 voting. Click on that and just type in the name of the show next on the T, and then my name, Chris Mascaro, over as host. I'd really appreciate your support. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friend.
2: First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.